Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Hi, and welcome everyone to CRISPR Cuts. Today we have a very special episode celebrating Black History Month. And our guest for today is Michael Friend. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Could you start with just introducing yourself and telling us about your role? Sure. Well, my name is Michael Friend, and I'm the founder of Minority Coalition for Precision Medicine and a lead activist for CRISPR technology. Right. Can you talk about what that role entails. So as a minority, um, being part of minority coalition, how does that actually work when, say, you're planning events or what are the types of responsibilities that, that you're kind of involved in? Sure. Well, for CRISPR-Con, my role on is um, I'm a member of the uh, committee and really is to help develop very strong and broad footprints in targeted minority communities by really, you know, trying to facilitate interactions with community-based, you know, organizations to include, you know, African-American universities, predominantly historically black colleges, HBCUs, and that have a very long-standing history of mistrust to some extent. And so I, I would kind of sum it up just to really increase minority representation in these conversations around CRISPR and engagement with a very strong focus on making sure we have diverse voices. Some of our listeners who may not know exactly what CRISPR-Con is, can you just in a few lines tell us about CRISPR-Con? Absolutely. Uh, well, CRISPR-Con is, is an organization that really focuses on the conversation around CRISPR. And they do it from the perspective where they're not either for or against the technology, they're not pro or con, but to really have the conversations as it relates to this technology and how it's being utilized in many ways and, and the benefits and the risks that are that involved. And we started out uh, UC Berkeley, the conversations there, uh, which later, I, I think a year after, moved to Boston and, and so forth. These, these conversations are kind of moving around the country and really sparing a lot, a lot of interest around CRISPR. And I can say that there have been very diverse voices that have participated in these discussions. That's a very interesting role. And, you know, I'm very curious to learn more about your experiences while doing this. Just one question before that. How did you get into, you know, the CRISPR field specifically? Was your background in CRISPR or how did that come to be that you are... Uh, involved in organizing CRISPR-Con? Well, it's, it's all started during uh, President Obama launch of the Precision Medicine Initiative, which was PMI. In 2015, I was invited to be a part of that launch. And uh, that PMI initiative is you know, a multi-year, multi-million dollar effort that was developed to engage around creating a large, diverse cohort to improve like disease treatment for all. But that program is currently known as the All of Us program. And so 
from that launch, I started the Minority Coalition for Precision Medicine. So, you know, speaking a little bit about your experiences as an event organizer or being part of the advising committee on CRISPR-Con, you had mentioned uh, that while pulling together some event, it was really impossible for you to find black researchers in the area. So could you elaborate more on the current statistics or say the lack of diversity that you are seeing in the field? Well, just to be honest, you know, this is brutal truthful is that I I think at this point it's kind of shameful in in some sense. Your recent article, uh, the article that you've written, kind of highlighting some of the top companies in the field. You know, as you look at even these companies, these leading companies that's leading the work around CRISPR, you can see mostly in their organizations clearly the lack of diversity that's so evident in these companies. And I think what is uh, sometimes more hurtful is that in this in CRISPR, in some ways the success of CRISPR really hinge on the outcome of of a, a black disease, sickle cell disease, which is driving and has driven a lot of interest and, of course, financial investments. And so I would say at, at this point, it's not looking very good in terms of diversity from what I can see. That's really a great point, especially about sickle cell disease. Just in so many articles that I have read or even written, this disease has come up as such a prime focus for CRISPR-related research. And we know that it affects African-Americans more than it does uh, other people. And still not having representation of Black scientists in the field is just sad. I agree with you. A follow-up on that is that are there just not many Black scientists working in CRISPR or are we just not finding them? I would say no, there's virtually not. The, the technology is not at at the universities is that you're, you're not finding this technology at most of the predominant African-American universities that are even doing a lot of work around life science. And even those uh, universities are doing work around agriculture. And so uh, CRISPR, unfortunately, is not a conversation there yet. And so therefore, you're not seeing much interest in the field you know, as it relates, you know, when it comes to African-Americans in these universities. And I think that's where it needs to start. And then from there, hopefully we'll see a lot more scientists in the field. Right. That's a great point. And it partly answers my next question around what, what can we do to solve that issue, right? Like how can we try and get more black scientists involved in the field? And from what I'm hearing, it seems to be more importantly, the education part itself, like trying to get them introduced to the technology early on so that we get more representation later in the field, right? Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, to way to, to really solve that issue, it, it may sound complex, but the reality is it's quite simple. I think that, you know, when you look at those who have fortunately created this technology, uh, or you talk about Jennifer Dalton or Emmanuel Carpenter, I think it's very important for those that are leading who have created technology to also ensure that these technologies are being shared at these uh, at these universities and, and more so in, in conversations. And so I, I really would hope that those that, that are in those types of position would lean more towards ensuring that we don't repeat history in some sense. Right, absolutely. Another question around the same lines is, 
you know, what are some of the ways that you have found that increase engagement within engaging black communities or whether it is just including more uh, people of color in panels or in in just whenever you're organizing a conference. So do you have any suggestions for what we can do to ensure diversity and build towards an inclusive environment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take a little phrase from my my friend and my mentor, uh, Dr. Ting Wu, who is the uh, founder and a personal genetics education program, or we call it PG Ed, at Harvard University. And, and one of the things that Ting had said is very important, it really have to be a two-way conversation. And so it's just important that, you know, we're having these conversations on both sides of the, of the table. And we haven't started, we haven't really started. Well, I can't say we have started, you know, to see that. Chris McCarn, the organization that I serve on the advisory committee, uh, we did have our first conversation at Howard University early part of this year. And so I believe that was a very big step in the, in the beginning. But that's the type of two-way conversation we need to have moving forward. I see. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that. So... While we were talking about, you know, just how to get more diversity uh, moving forward or how to even engage more uh, Black people in the field, I just wanted to, you know, talk a little bit more about your career and how, uh, so you mentioned, for instance, that you were kind of involved in the launch of this precision medicine program. Uh, So even to get to that stage, you know, we mentioned, uh, we spoke a little bit about opportunities before and just making sure that people have those opportunities so that later there is better representation. Can you talk about one, how you came across these opportunities and then also what were the challenges in your career reaching uh, before you reached this level or how did you overcome them? Sure. I did get started really with my work around uh, sickle cell disease. And in my work, I, my business partner, Shakir Cannon, lived with sickle cell disease. And unfortunately, we lost Shakir a few years back to the disease. But we were very instrumental in having conversations around sickle cell disease and addressing issues that particularly adults living with sickle cell disease, their challenges within the emergency departments, emergency rooms, and just being seen as, as drug seekers. And so we we formed a national task force or committee to really have conversations around ED and sickle cell. And as we were doing that work around sickle cell disease, the opportunities, the opportunity to go to the White House emerged. And then from the White House, we branched out and start working with Harvard University in their personal genetics education program, and that sort of led us into uh, the area of CRISPR to some extent. So as you were even building out this, uh, working with sickle cell disease and and working on these, you know, just just like spreading the information about all of this stuff and, and working in education as well, what have there been particular challenges or instances that you would like to share and um, any ways to overcome those that might, you know, help anyone else in that situation? I think when it comes to advocacy work, um, as most people may know, it's not an area that's really funded. You know, it's not like you can be funded, but in many ways, 
individually speaking as an advocate. And so the challenges are that, you, you know, you really are going to have to make a lot of major sacrifices personally and, and financially because many of those activities that my partner and I, uh, Shakir Kanda, engaged in initially were self-funded. You know, we had to realize our own resources to conduct these conversations and these meetings and invite some of these key stakeholders to these conversations. And I'd say that is has been the most challenging part of, of the work. And so that's changing somewhat uh, slightly, but that still uh, becomes much of a challenge. I'll follow up with that by saying that uh, when it comes to outreach and engagement, it's one of those areas that, that still lacks uh, a lot of funding that corporations that, although they do the work, that's their, their budgets in that area, to be honest, is very limited and very small. That's a very interesting point. So, yeah, you, you had mentioned in, in the education part that you are involved in looking into the education in African-American universities. Is that largely happening only within the U.S. or is, is there an education program that's bigger and across continents as well? Not around CRISPR. There isn't. But we are, uh, I am working with Keystone and partner with Keystone Policy to create a program around the film Human Nature. And so what we're going to be doing hopefully is uh, showing a film around high schools across the country and particularly focus on these urban areas to really start this conversation. And I think the timing is so perfect because they're doing a lot of uh, virtual learning. And so we're hoping that this type of format that we're considering would be fitting for the, for the time. And, and I believe really getting that next generation, these high school students involved in these conversations early will go a long way as to their uh, future endeavors and interests as well. That's a great idea. And it just, just because you mentioned human nature, we actually had a screening. So we had human nature screening for our company a while back when just before the pandemic started. And it's an amazing movie that really is great for starting all these conversations around CRISPR and its ethics and how it can be used. Um, and even in the movie, particularly since we were talking about sickle cell disease, the story of David Sanchez really stands out and uh, this young boy with sickle cell disease and how he's dealing with it and, and the clinical options that now CRISPR has opened up for him. So I'm glad that's on your list of materials yeah. to spread. Yes, thank you. And I just wanted to add that the my work with the producers of that film uh, has been very close because Shakir Cannon was supposed to be the patient in the film, and he passed away just before filming. And the folks at the Human Nature did dedicate the film in honor or in recognition of Shakir. And so, in some ways, we're, we just want to continue, you know, to build upon Shakir's legacy and his work around CRISPR. Right. Uh, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, really sorry to hear that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I think this has been, you know, a great conversation. If you had any parting words of wisdom for all of us to just, you know, yeah, uh, around diversity and, and what, what we can do uh, for our parts, uh, I would be happy to like, let you do the closing remarks. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. It's a sort of challenge. I, I, I would like to uh, personally challenge, you know, uh, many scientists and labs around the U.S. and around the world 
have benefit from Henrietta Lacks selves. And I think that as you think about, as you all have worked with herself, you know, think about the other things that are needed as well. You know, the cells are there. And I think it's important that we also create the same opportunities in person at many of these labs and institutions around the world, around the country. And so it's just a place of, uh, I think, for just personal reflection for many to think about the benefits. That is so true. Um, that the book around, you know, just the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks and, and, and I also saw the movie around the book, uh, which just is very eye-opening to know these HeLa cells that are being used widely in the biological community, how they were obtained without consent and, and you know, just, just the whole the whole field kind of rests on these cells and um and yeah we it is definitely good to reflect on yeah how we got here yeah absolutely i also agree with you and i'm i'm so excited to hear of all the all the work that you all are doing and and, and you know just in terms of your, your company your organization and, and what you all are exposing yourselves to in these conversations you're having it's very very enlightening to learn also about your work and with your organization and your company so thanks that's that's great you know it's it's a start but yeah we're excited to you know know more and and do better for sure absolutely thanks thanks for you know just spending time today and and talking to us about all this uh, all these issues and solutions and and challenges all of that so thank thanks this has been a great episode michael thank you Enjoy your day, and more importantly, stay safe. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.